Welcome to episode 89 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Hosting a podcast, publishing a book, running a marathon, two of these were on my bucket list and I crossed them off. While I can't help you shave minutes off your mile, I can help you make an informed decision about whether hosting a podcast or becoming an author is the right next step for your business or career. And I can show you that publishing a book and launching a book are definitely not the same thing. If you're ready to take on the challenge of bringing a book or podcast to life, but you have a few questions about how to get started, you want to check out my free masterclass replays at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. So whether you're considering hosting a podcast, writing a book, or want to successfully launch your book, you'll learn a lot from these one hour video replays where I shared some of my best tips to help you succeed. You even receive the detailed notes I prepared just for these sessions. If you want help with your launch, I offer a variety of one-on-one and group coaching packages to help my clients successfully launch. Watch the video replay and reach out to schedule a complimentary 20-minute chat so I can learn more about what you're working on, see how I can help you achieve your goals. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is widely respected and recognized for her amazing ability to build bridges and create cross-cultural and interracial social networks and connections president and CEO of one of Boston's premier public relations and marketing communication firms. She's a tireless social entrepreneur, connector, advocate, civic leader, and champion for the development of women and people of color. In 2000 and 2006, she published Kaleidoscope, Boston's first and only comprehensive multicultural resource directory. Both editions were hailed as the ultimate networking tool for people often left out of the network. She's an active civic leader, serving on several boards, and in 2008, she launched Get Connected, a bi-monthly, cross-generational, and cross-cultural professional and social networking event, which is another first in Boston. Named one of Boston's 40 most fabulous people, one of Boston's 100 most powerful women, and many other accolades, please join me in welcoming Colette Phillips. Well, Robbie, it's nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining me by phone from your office in Boston. I want to just jump right in. Uh, this is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I would say that um, for me, leadership is about having uh, inspiring vision of, and also a zest for change. And I think leadership also has three, what I call the three C's, courage, because as a leader, there are times when you have to push against the grain, when you might have to be what I have always considered myself to be, a constructive disruptor. Um, (laughs) And you have to have the courage to do that. And then you have to have conviction on believing that that which you are standing up for and you're doing is the right thing to do and the smart thing to do 
from a business perspective and from a vision perspective. And then the third C is commitment. You know, leaders have to have a commitment, a commitment to their vision, a commitment to change, and a commitment to inspiring others to also not only believe in your vision, but to also be committed to your vision. I love this phrase, zest for change, because a lot of people do talk about this idea of vision uh, and being inspiring and having a vision, but often that does mean change, and most people are kind of feeling anxious about that. So having a zest for change will help people see sort of a way forward. I, I love this phrase. And, and these three Cs, courage, conviction, and commitment. Um, yeah, I've never had anyone describe it quite this way, and I really, I really appreciate this sort of lens on this. Was there a time in your life that you started to realize, wow, I think I have some of the abilities to do this? Or like, were people recognizing this in your, like, in your ability early on, like even like grade school, high school, college? Or were you kind of the quiet kid who sort of watched everyone kind of unfold in front of oh, you? Oh, no. I was <laughs> never the quiet kid. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I was never the quiet kid. I was the kid who, who, uh, whose teacher wrote in her, um, her report, Colette is a bright and engaging child, but she would do better if she talked a little less because I was talkative. <laughs> I was like chatty, chatty Maddie. Um, but I recognize that the leadership in myself, I think when I was a teenager, I, um, I was sort of the person who always was trying to evoke a response from other people to make positive change. I remember one year, um, I must have been about 13 or 14, and we decided in the school, at, at, in school at the time, that we were going to participate in the annual carnival. And this was something that I went to an all-girls school and at the time, it started off as an Episcopalian private school, exam school. And, um, you know, the girls who went to the school, you know, were very proper, prim, proper. We just didn't participate in carnival in that way. And I thought this would be a great school spirit to get certain girls in Let's say we were, I believe, in we might have been in eighth grade or maybe it was ninth. You know, we were in the upper school mm-hmm. and I went into a British system and we decided that we were going to be um, in carnival and we were going to wear a hot pants <laughs> boot and, and um, you know, the um, bolero hats. And um, we decided we would participate. I got the school, the class, to confirm that they would do that. And we also had um, a great um, opportunity to take first place in the section that we competed in. So that in itself gave 
the girls who dis- who decided we were going to do this confidence mm-hmm. and um we were um we won Mm-hmm. And that made all the difference in the world. I, uh, you know, I remembered in my senior year in school, ev- the teachers often picked somebody with what they called the esprit de corps, the girl with the most school spirit. And the year before I left school, I was chosen <laughs> unanimously. And they decided that because I had another year, they should really give it to somebody. And the woman who came in second was graduating from school. And they decided that they would give the award to her because I still had a year to go and that they would defer my award till the following year when I was a senior and departing school. So I imagine that my teachers saw that leadership mm. skills and ability in me. Yeah. And um, so it started early. And I think, you know, I, I, I think leadership is something that some people are born leaders. Some people acquire leadership skills. And some people have leadership skills thrusted upon them, you know, where they may not have even thought of themselves as a leader or somebody that would lead. But, you know, the opportunity, you know, um, presented itself mm-hmm. and they stepped into it. And, and sometimes you you don't even recognize your own leadership abilities until you are forced to do so. You know, this actually makes me think of uh, 10 years ago when you were first starting to put together Get Connected. Um, yeah. You probably could not envision what it would become. You started something, you, you, you realized yeah. there was something missing. Um, it was an opportunity for leadership because it didn't exist but you felt you were the right. person uh, to, to bring this. And now I wanted to share the part of the way I know you is that for 11 years, I ran a cross-cultural, cross-issue, progressive community in Boston called Socializing yes. for Justice, which started in 2006. Yes. And by the time you know, I learned of you, you had this up and running. I think I started going in like 2009, <laughs> 2010. And it was so yes. exciting because one of the things I always talk to you about is if you don't start something with a diverse participation and leadership, it's really hard to change that down the line. And what excited me um, about your, what you had sort of created is that from the very beginning, that was intentional. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you thought this was needed and and you were the right person to bring it. Like, what was the origin of Get Connected? And by the way, folks, it's still running. It's called Get Connected with a K and an exclamation point. And I love that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I decided that if I was you would use the K because of that we you when you introduced me, you talk about the fact that I created a diversity or an, a multicultural resource directory called Kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep the K going. And actually, when I looked up for um, trademarking, Get Connected was already sort of 
with a C had been already taken because, and that was with company that was doing sort of cable connections and electrical <laughs> <Yes>. connections. <laughs> right. So I thought, okay, get connected with a K. And I observed in Boston that I would go to a lot of events and those events that I would go to would not necessarily have um, people of color in them, you know, and I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. And, um, you know, I just thought the lack of uh, diversity in the room was astounding to me. And I thought, you know, what is it that I could do? Because I sort of came out of uh, a dynamic, a family dynamic that says, don't complain unless you're prepared to step up and change. And I think that's why I talked about in my description or definition of leadership is really having a zest for change. And I thought the way that you can change Boston, it's like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world, is to create this network. And my friends who were professionals and C-suite executives across culturally diverse lines and industries and sectors were the first people I reached out to and I got a good response the first time and I got a better response the second time. So I started recognizing this isn't a fluke. There is a hunger. People want to get to know people across uh, culturally diverse lines and intergenerational lines across generational. And, you know, I think if you Think about how people do business with each other. It's really three key things. People do business with people they know. That's number one. People they like. That's number two. And people they trust. And if you want to throw a fourth element in there, people they feel bring value to either what they themselves are doing or can add value to just the the circumstance that you find yourself. And the only way you get to know people and you get to decide whether you like somebody or you um, want to get to, you can trust them. You can't do that on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter because, you know, you are dealing with people in a virtual world and you don't really know someone no matter how many emails, texts, or whatever extra messages you send each other, you are really never going to know someone until you have a chance to eyeball them, to sit across a table or be in a room physically with them. And that way, you can tell a lot about a person, uh, who they are, their spirit, their energy, from being in their presence. And so I thought if you could get people connecting with each other in an environment that is vetted, that feels safe, 
and I'm not talking about physical safety, but just safe in terms of how you do business. Somebody in that room will vouch for Robbie or Colette. And I said, oh, Robbie, she's somebody you have to meet. Or Robbie, that's somebody you don't even want to deal with. You know, somebody who knows you well will say, will give you the cues about people that you meet. And they, you know, often I am in a room and somebody comes up and they said, Colette Phillips, I want you to meet Robbie Samuels. He is doing this great thing, you know, called Socializing for Justice. And the work he's doing has an intersection with the work you are doing. And the two of you should talk, you know. So, And then you said, okay, let's get together. Let's see, figure out if we have some uh, synergy here. And um, that's how it happens. So I started this, and as you said, I didn't know how it was going to evolve and how it was going to grow. But 10 years later, we are celebrating our 10th anniversary next Tuesday. And with the second um, edition of what we are calling the GK100, we did two years ago, we were um, the creators of the historic. Um, get connected 100, the GK 100, the 100 most influential people of color in Boston. And I know that people talk about, oh, well, do we really need to have a list of people? And are we not dividing ourselves more and separating ourselves more? And my response to that was, if the people on this list were on the general list that people put together, I would need to create a list. <laughs> right, and of I, course. It was, I thought it was important enough for people to see the depth and breadth and the total aggregation of talent that exists in Greater Boston of people of diverse cultural backgrounds who were making significant contributions to the social and economic, political fabric of our city. And proud to say that among those people are immigrants. And the truth of the matter is we are a nation of immigrants. Um, John Kennedy says, that in every sector of the American economy, immigrants have contributed and are contributing. And I think despite what we are hearing uh, from the current, in the current political discourse, we need immigrants. Immigrants is what makes America strong and good and great. Yeah, thank you. This is this I love hearing a little background again because I've never really sat down to ask you this question. I've known of this for so long and I and I know that you had done the kaleidoscope prior to that. I mean, clearly uh it was from your personal experience. I had a similar experience of why I started so just uh socializing for justice was this feeling of only being able to share part of myself when I went into a space and there wasn't a space that sort of was a container for me to bring more of my full self, my my identities, my interests, my 
my enthusiasm and experience. And so I know that that's what you've done. And I'm curious um, now that it's been 10 years and congratulations on that. I mean, that's, that Thank in itself you. is a huge victory. Um, and, and I also want to say that it continues to be a warm and welcoming space. So what has for you been the most rewarding part of the work that you're doing today and in full, like, I mean, you're doing Get Connected. Um, you also have this PR firm. Like, so what's been sort of most rewarding about this? Well, I would say that the most rewarding part of, uh, for me, of the work that I do is yesterday I was reading a tweet from, of all places, the historic Old South Church, Boston. And anyone who knows about Boston's history, you know the Old South Church goes back almost 400 years, you know, in terms of the the pilgrims who came over and um, it is part of Boston's history and this country's history. And we were honoring a woman who is on the list next week. Her name is Dr. Deb Washington. She is both a uh, um, a nurse with a uh, has PhD in um, and an MPH in nursing, and she was on the list. And they were congratulating her, and they actually said, "And we also salute Get Connected for being the gold standard." for creating and acknowledging diverse talent in Massachusetts. And I thought, wow, I, I actually retweeted it. And I said in my retweet, I said, wow, it is um, humbling to um, have an initiative you created referred to as the gold standard for diversity for diverse talent and you know so that is the intention to some extent with these lists that we are creating what we are trying to do is to remove the phrase we can't find talented talented candidates of color for a job for being on a corporate board or being on a uh, you know, a nonprofit board, what we are doing is really documenting, validating, and celebrating the diversity that is Boston. I just think about the intention that you have to put into making this a reality that all the people who say that they don't know anyone, that part of what you were, you were able to do is you also started working on building a space where people could connect eight years ago, right. eight years before yeah. I made the first list. Because if you tried to make a list without making those connections, you wouldn't necessarily have known the people. There's something about the way you first built the community and now you're, I guess, like highlighting or um, just raising the visibility right. of the people who really deserve to be recognized and often get overlooked. And 
And I think people forget that it can take that long to build those kinds of really strong connections and that the payoff is huge and beneficial for everybody. But if you only were at it for two or three years, whatever diverse, uh, whatever diversity initiative, whatever inclusion initiative people are doing, it's always these buzzwords, two or three years, you probably won't see the kind of impact that you're now seeing a decade later. And I want to kind of call attention to that, you know, don't, don't get, if you're listening to this and thinking, how could I ever do this in my area? You could, but you can't expect the same results in like a minute that it took you years to do. But I would expect that today, it probably with intention could be even a little easier because you were starting at a time where, you know, we weren't quite as networked together. And so maybe if someone was being intentional, they would do it in five or six years, you know, they wouldn't need all eight. (laughs) Well, one of the things that we we are absolutely, um, you know, committed to doing is, you know, I am talking about scaling this, you know, because I think the opportunity is there to scale it and to take it national because it has all of the ingredients and the elements. And so we are in the throes now of raising money to do this because we think that this is, this is um, something that has, we have a brand, it has credibility. We have major corporations like Dell and State Street Bank and Liberty Mutual. These are all global companies that have partnered with us because they recognize that what we're doing is also helping them with their Mm -hmm. talent retention and um, talent recruitment because they can come to get as a partner and um, reach out. And when they have opportunities and openings, they can use our network to say, can you get this, the word out that we're looking for talent with these kind of skills? You know, so yeah. That's great. And I just want to make a note that in case you're listening, Colette is on a phone and occasionally you're fading a little away. Just make sure you're speaking right into oh, the phone. sorry. Let me yeah. make sure I'm speaking yeah. right into the phone. <laughs> but I'm glad we were able to make this work. I'm curious though, it sounds almost simple in hindsight, but I expect that in reality, there was a lot of challenges. So what were some of the challenges you were facing as this was sort of getting started and how did you overcome them? Well, you mean... Getting started in my business or getting started with Get Connected? Wherever you want to go with that. Because honestly, I think the two are so interrelated because the fact that you do PR and communications, that's your, uh, that's your business. I'm sure it played a large role in why you're able to think about Get Connected as a brand and think about the messaging. Yes. Um, and think about the corporate connections piece. So, so tell tell me a little bit about how how that got started, but also the challenge that you faced as you're making that shift into into this being the work that you do. Yes. Well, I would just say that part of um, what happened is I literally was the first person of color in Boston to start a successful um, PR firm. Believe it or not, you know, if you want, that's a little, still a little shocking to me, but (laughs) Um, I am just 
totally, um, I know when I started, I didn't have any specific role models I could turn to and say, here is somebody, um, you know, who is a woman of color who has a business. Um, there was one, two women I know, one had a consulting firm in diversity and inclusion. Um, her name was Jane Edmonds. I consider Jane a mentor and a dear friend. And the other was a woman who had a um, a recruitment search firm. Um, her name was Datris McPherson. And it, I have to say that, um, you know, back in the days when the day when I started my business, it it, it wasn't an easy business um, for women and for people of color in Boston. And, um, you know, I think it takes a tremendous sense of dedication and belief in yourself and confidence and learning not to take things personally. You know, um, you, I have, I have learned that there are certain things you have to do in, in life. One is to make your word impeccable, you know, keep your word. Um, the second is to don't personalize anything, you know, recognize that often people's behavior says more about them than it says about you. Um, always be willing to go the extra mile, you know, do more than is expected of you um, because people always just do the minimum they need to do. And if you're willing to go the extra mile, I think people often take, take notice of that. And then you try to autograph your work with excellence, you know, because I think that when you do that, People focus more on the outcomes than they do on, you know, the company name or the person who runs the company. You always want people to say, and and I am grateful for this, that in today's environment, you know, people say things like, when people hear my name, they they get positive feedback. and. You know, people say to me, wow, people, you know, people say such good things about you and your company. Well, it takes uh, many, many years to build a strong, positive brand. And that brand in today's environment can be destroyed by a tweet, by somebody maliciously, which has been done to me, going on glass door and you know, making statements about um, my company. And I have learned that when I see things written about people in any form, I have learned to not always react and take what others say um, as my necessary yardstick. I, I kind of say, okay, yes, Robbie knows this person. He must know something about them. But I'm also willing to give the person sometimes the benefit of the doubt because people have the capacity to change. And I always hold out that possibility. 
for others. I am certainly not the person I was 25 years ago. You know, I was uh, uh, totally different. And so people change all the time and, and evolve. And, um, you know, sometimes where you stand on an issue 20 years ago, you evolve from that. So that's how, that's how I think when I think about how I started my business, what I, I found a niche and my niche was I can help clients reach a broad range of people. And I try to say to people, look, I'm a black woman in public relations, but I didn't study black public relations in college (laughs) or black marketing. (laughs) You know, I studied marketing. I studied PR. What I bring to the table is a broad perspective about how to engage with women, how to engage with people of color, how to do, you know, cross-cultural, trans-cultural. In today's environment, we all have to be, we live in a global marketplace, and we all have to be trans-cultural because we have to be able to interact with people in China, people in the Middle East, the people in the Far East, you know, um, people in Russia, (laughs) you know, Eastern Europe, in you know, Central Europe, in Western Europe, you have to have a sense of how to be, you know, transcultural and multicultural, you know, or polycultural, if you want to um, call it that. Colette, I was curious, what year did you start your your communications firm? Now you're going to age me. (laughs) You're going to out me. (laughs) Well, you were 12 when you started it. Did you? I was 12 when I started, but I started my business in the 80s. I wanted to put a pin in that because that is a very different climate than today. And we still have so much work to do. But for you to do that then, you know, while it is sort of surprising, even shocking that you are the first to have accomplished what you did, it also shows you sort of what, where you were starting from um, and what you've been able to accomplish you know, you've talked about this in a few different ways, but um, I'm actually writing a book later this year about the importance of building diverse networks and the benefits of doing that and, and examples of how to do that. And, and you will definitely be one of the examples of how, how people can do this. What would you say in, like a, in a sentence or two is the reason, because I know you believe in the importance of it. So why... Why should people, why should the average professional out there be working to have a diverse professional network? Well, because the world is not monolithic or um, homogeneous. We live in a world where two-thirds of the people are people of color. We have a billion point six Chinese in China, and or as uh, the president said, China. Uh, we have um, over a billion people in India, and we have another almost a billion in Africa. And you, the world is diverse. And so if you are a multinational global company, or if you are someone who really want to do business you know, in a global marketplace, having a diverse team matters. 
not just because Colette says so, but because there is documented empirical evidence that shows that teams that are gender and culturally diverse, and by culturally diverse, I mean racially and sexual orientation and interfaith, that you are better off having a team that is diverse because, number one, it precludes you from making cultural gaffes because somebody on your team will say, you know what, that is not going to fly with that group of consumers. Or in that culture, you don't want to use those colors. For example, in the Asian culture, the number four is just like 13, numerically, three and one are four, or one and three are four. In the Asian culture, four is the number of bad luck. Uh, in the Chinese culture, you never give someone a white envelope on Chinese New Year because white portends death. So you give them a red envelope which is a sign of power, of wealth, of, you know, affluence and influence. So you have to know these things. And, um, you know, I always say that in our culture, Western culture, and particular in American culture, even though I am not American, I am Caribbean American, um, in my culture, people want to get to know you. They want to break bread with you. They want to know about your family. Um, in America, everybody wants to get to, let's sign this contract. Let's get this deal done. And in many other cultures, it's people want to learn more about you. And so you have to recognize that. And having people on your team who understands you know, global cultural cues and behavior is a good thing because it it's a winning thing and you tend to be more profitable and um, more successful when you have a diverse team. So I just had a couple other questions. You answered that beautifully and thank you for saying it sort of all in one piece because I, I knew you'd have an interesting take on that. I, as you've been doing the work that you've been doing, though, you've probably met a million people, I mean, <laughs> of your own right. So, um, and I'm not, I'm not actually exaggerating that. I think you really have. Uh, so my, my question is about, um, so you're really good at making new connections. And I know you're also have a knack for staying in touch with people. Um, so what are your practices? What's your habits or what are the what are the intentional ways that you're you're staying current with your network um or nurturing those connections? Like do you do you do I mean obviously you're hosting something every other month that, you know or more. Um yeah. is yeah. there something else besides get connected that you do to like make sure you have sort of the close people stay nearby or people that you meet, you stay connected? Well, I think that one of the things that we do is we also have a calendar of events that we encourage the community 
our both the general um, community to send us things that are going on that we can share with others, you know, and we call them red hot events. So we try to um, support and get out to um, our network things that are going on in and around the city that we think they would be things that they, they should be of interest to them. And if they're interesting articles and all of that, we do that too. We are very active on Facebook and social media and LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter feed, so we connect with people in that way. So, yeah. Do you ever host sort of smaller, more intimate events that are just sort of a gathering of your friends, maybe like a, like dinner parties or brunch or things like that, that kind of give you an opportunity I mean, I think it's hard. Your events are large. They, they gather quite a, yes. quite a few yes. people. No, I, I, stay, I try to stay connected with my close friends and do things with them that are, um, you know, that, that are um, intimate. And uh, I just think it's important to, I have friends, one of my oldest Standing friend is a friend from um, of about forty years ago, from when I was a student in college, and I was age. I met him when I was nineteen, and you know we like to tease each other and say our friendship have outlasted some people's marriages, which yeah, is true. Which is true. And, uh, so you know we try to get together for dinner with. I get together with him and his wife and. I have a group of really good um, women friends who we try to connect regularly mm-hmm. and stay. It's important to stay plugged in, you know, and to be able to um, stay in touch with your network. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like we are doing that by reading something on Facebook and liking it, but it will never be the same as picking up the phone exactly, and saying, hey, how are you? I saw you just came back from a big trip, <laughs> you know, um, and, I, and I think the opportunity to do that, right? Like it feels old school, but we have to remember these are the, these are the skills that uh, will stand out today. I want to now um, ask you most of my favorite sort of wrap up question. When we connect again in a year from now um, and you're telling me all the amazing things that you've accomplished in the last year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are, the, what are the things you're looking forward to in the next year? Well, I think well, hopefully one of the things that we will be celebrating is sort of how we have scaled the Get Connected platform, which we are um, wanting to move to a more technical, making it more technological um, and interactive. And um, I would say with new offerings, you know, I, that's something that I am very um, passionate about. And, and I would say also finding um, someone who um, is younger than I am and who is um, vibrant and committed and interested that um, might want to be a part of Get Connected as the um, 
COO, you know, I'll always be the chief visionary, but, you know, there's nothing that says I need to be running this. I I would like to see um, someone younger be involved and, you know, I would be the chairman and vision visionary in chief and they could be the president and COO, mm-hmm. you know, or CTO, the chief technology officer and president. Yeah, what's great is that you're thinking about that succession plan to keep what you created, uh, your legacy going and going and going. So, Colette, how can people find you and follow your work? What are the best sort of websites and uh, social media links? Well, I would say either the Get Connected with a K, www.getconnected.com or cpcglobal.com, which is mm-hmm. my business network. You know, yeah. Great. I have both those links are going to be in the show notes. I'm also going to be including uh, links to your LinkedIn and Twitter and also Twitter for CPC Global and Twitter for Get Connected. Colette, thank you so much. Twitter for Colette. <laughs> yes, I've got all the Twitter. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me and look forward to continuing to stay connected. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Colette. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 89. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget to check out all my free masterclasses. If you've been considering hosting a podcast, writing a book, or want to know how to launch your book successfully, you'll find them all at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. But are you looking for more? A few times a year, I run the More program for entrepreneurial women. I meet bi-weekly online with four women who want more money, opportunities, referrals, and engagement. It's a mix of mastermind hot seats and content-rich masterclass sessions scheduled over 90 days. I don't have a long sales page to convince you to buy from me, you know, by reminding you how hard it can be to build a strong professional network, especially as you're shifting or expanding your business. And then the part where I tell you I have the solution to solve all of your problems. (laughs) I feel about sales pages the way you likely feel about networking. It's a bit icky to sell you on something. I'd much rather have a conversation to see if it would be a good fit for both of us, and to answer any questions you have about the program, email me at Robbie at robbysamuels.com to schedule a chat, and we can just take it from there. But you don't have to speak to me to see the impact it's had on the women who have participated. Check out the video testimonials on the Masterclass Archive page at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. If you enjoyed this episode with Colette, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week.
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.